0: Meg and Laney, God is stronger, and we are in need. We're going to be talking about that in just a few moments. But first, let me just talk about my mask. I'm so proud of this thing. I saw some of you come in the doors with really cool masks. Some had the basic blue. That's okay. I wear those also. I just got this one. This is Brutus Buckeye. Go Bucks! I have two nephews who both were Brutus Buckeye. Our third nephew, one of their brothers, is going to become one of the Brutus Buckeyes, which is awesome. And I just feel blessed to be able to say that. Blessed to have our nephews, blessed to be a Buckeye, and I want to talk about the word blessed as I take my mask off. There, is that that better? Less muffled, maybe. Yeah, you know, uh, when our nephews uh, visit uh, with their family uh, over Thanksgiving time, we almost always host at our house. One of our traditions, not every year, but oftentimes before we have the meal, we'll go around the table and ask the question, what are you thankful for? In what way are you blessed? And someone will say, I'm thankful for my family. Someone will say, I'm thankful for my health, thankful for my friends, thankful for my job that helps pay the bills, thankful for, for God. Um, thankful, you know, Thanksgiving time, right? That's right around the time Ohio State plays Michigan, blessed again that Ohio State, State beat Michigan. I mean, you know, it goes on and on. And those are all real and true. I mean, we're we're blessed. It makes us happy, right? But but what if one or more of those things goes away? Would you still say you are a blessed person? Over the weeks to come, we're going to be looking at this passage, uh, taking verses at a time. This comes at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first long-recorded message. They're called the Beatitudes. More on that in just a moment. But repeatedly in these verses, Jesus uses the word blessed. And what he wants us to understand, that his people are blessed in a certain way for a certain reason. And and this this is how I'd like to say it. Being blessed is not based on what we have. Rather, it's who we are because of whose we are. And because of who we are and because of whose we are, we are called to live in a different way. We are called to be Christ's followers. We're called to, to bring our lives into alignment with the kingdom of heaven as blessed people. And then look for ways to bless others as well. So over the, the next weeks, this is the series we're calling, we're calling it The Good Life, a study of the Beatitudes. Now, now, Beatitude is kind of a funny word. We don't use it very often. Beatitude is a, it comes from the Latin, it comes from the Greek, and uh, what, what it really, some people translate it as happy. That sounds a little bit flippant. It really is blessed, and what Jesus means, and he says it eight different times, uh, your blessed status in Christ should be lived out this way, and then looking for a way to bless others. So, The very first beatitude, the very first way we are blessed, goes like this from chapter 5, verse 3. God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, I know it may sound muffled as we do this. That's okay. I would love for you to read this out loud with me. So let's read it again. Read it with me. Okay, here we go. God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It is yours as we are poor in spirit. We're going to develop this as we go. Now notice, on the, let's leave it on the screen for a moment. In spirit is in brackets. Uh, some of you might be familiar with a certain Bible version translation where it says, poor in spirit. Uh, and that's literally how it's written in the original Greek, poor in spirit. But in this room, we use what's called the New Living Translation, the NLT, and it does us a bit of a favor in that it helps us understand what it means to be poor in spirit. We realize, a person realizes their need for him, for God. When I was about age 20, even though I had heard about God all my life and had gone to church... Because of all of these thoughts about eternity and what happens to a person after they die, and I looked at the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains, and I think, who put that there so perfectly? I had no answers. And I certainly had no idea how I could be forgiven for my own sin. And I realized my need for God. And maybe you can think back to that day when you realize your need for God. We're going to develop that thought as we go. Now, some time after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told a parable. We find it in the book of Luke. And a parable is, it's a story designed to teach a primary spiritual truth. And in this particular parable, we get a picture of what it looks like to be poor in spirit and what it does not look like to be poor in spirit. So in this parable, there are two men who arrive at I'm not done yet. That was your alarm. You can set it for about 15 minutes from now. Don't you hate it when that happens? So, I had to check my own phone. Uh, So, these two guys show up at the temple to pray. And uh, one of the guys, and they can't be more different than each other in this story. Uh, The first one is the Pharisee. Who stood by himself and prayed this prayer? I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Who are the other people? Jesus goes on to explain that. The other people are robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and tax collectors. Hang on to the word tax collector. Tax collectors back in those days, were the worst of the worst. In fact, sometimes when Jesus would talk about tax collectors, he's a tax collectors and sinners. It's like they had their own separate category. There were sinners and there were tax collectors. And those who are listening to this parable must have been thinking, of course this Pharisee is not like these other people. Because everyone knew a Pharisee gave his life to public service. A Pharisee gave his life to religious duty. A Pharisee memorized most of the Bible. A Pharisee, his morality was far beyond robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and tax collectors especially. There was no way he was like these other people in his own mind. The problem is this, is the standard he used. The Pharisee used as his standard himself and other people, but not God. Well, you know, if you, if you don't use God as your standard, you can come out looking pretty doggone good. <laughs> if you don't use God as your standard, you will come out feeling superior to others and even looking down upon them. Thank you, God, that I am not like these other people. And so what we have here is the perfect picture of what it looks like not to be poor in spirit. Anybody looking in would have thought, of course a Pharisee understands what it means to be blessed by God. Of course a Pharisee understands what it means to be made right with God. But Jesus is thinking completely different. And he takes us further into this parable. And we meet the tax collector who stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And then, as Jesus brings this parable to a close, he makes it clear. It was the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who was made right with God. It was the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who in his humility was exalted by God. The tax collector. The tax collector, not the Pharisee. A favorite author, writer, pastor, J.D. Greer. You can find him on the radio, you can find him on the web. Uh, Helps us understand a little bit better this idea of what it means to be poor in spirit. The word poor is used for a person's posture. For the word literally means to be hunched over. It's a picture of someone leaning over with pleading eyes where everything about them says, I am completely desperate. I love the word desperate there because that's the feeling you get when you hear the tax collector's prayer. He is desperate for God. He understands he has made a mess of his life. Have you been there? And his only recourse now is God himself. He cannot forgive himself. He cannot find others to forgive him. So he turns to God. He is poor in spirit. D.A. Carson, a, a favorite theologian and writer also, helps develop it a little bit more. He says this, Poverty of spirit is the personal acknowledgement of spiritual bankruptcy. It is the conscious confession of unworth before God. And so this Pharisee, he saw himself worthy before God because he did not use God as his standard. He used himself and others around him. The task collector understood the holiness of God and therefore his unworth before God and therefore his spiritual bankruptcy... He is a poster child for what it means to be poor in spirit. God, I need you. So so the dichotomy between the Pharisee and the tax collector could not be more stark. Just for fun, let's, let's do this. Let's pretend that our personal. Spiritual maturity, our our personal spirituality, could be measured in terms of how much money we have in the bank, right? And the Pharisee thinks, I am a millionaire. He thinks he's a millionaire because of his own personal piety, all of the things he's done in life, and how he thinks, and all of the things he knows. Of course, he's a millionaire. However, in his own eyes, he has come to the point where now he looks down on others and has this self-righteous attitude toward God. And the truth is, any of us in this room could find ourselves in the same position if we unwisely compare ourselves to whomever we want. (laughs) I can always find a group of people where I think I'm morally a little bit better than them. Or a person where I think I'm a little bit better than that person. And that puts us on dangerous ground. Because I can start to despise that person and look down on that person. And I can begin to look up to God and think, I am right before God. But this is the antithesis of being poor in spirit. Which is, God, is what God honors. On the other hand, not a millionaire. Here is the, the tax collector who sees himself... As a pauper, as someone who is spiritually bankrupt. He owns it. He knows it. He understands that he needs to be forgiven and there's nowhere else he can turn. He is poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize they need God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've, I've wondered this over the years. Why is this particular phrase, this particular beatitude, at the very front end of all the other beatitudes? Why would this beatitude be at the very front end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about how we are to go and live out the kingdom of heaven, how we are to follow Jesus? Why would this be the very first one? Why is this this the very first one we're looking at? Because if I ever want to experience life in Jesus... If I ever want to experience all of the good things that Jesus talks about through the Sermon on the Mount, I need to start with my spiritual poverty and my need for God. And my friends, as long as you've been a Christian, that will never end. Ever. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, the the word heaven... That's the promise. The word heaven sometimes is a little bit confusing. Sometimes we think of heaven as being somewhere out there, up there, somewhere. And sometime in the future, after I I breathe my last breath. But that's not entirely true. It would be a mistake to think of heaven only as that. There's one author, a theologian, N.T. Wright, who, who puts it like this. He says, heaven is God's space where full reality exists close by with our ordinary earth reality and interlocking with it. What what does he mean? When Jesus would teach, sometimes he would say this, the kingdom of heaven is near. What he means is the kingdom of heaven has come to you. What he means is when Jesus was born, he came to earth, he brought the kingdom of heaven with him. Theologians call it the inauguration of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. One day, when Jesus comes again, he will bring his kingdom fully with him. And we will live in a brand new kingdom. Read your Bible, it's beautiful. But between this day and that day, something remarkable is happening. When a person puts their faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And what he brings with him is the kingdom of heaven who lives within true believers. The kingdom of heaven has its start here and now. So therefore, we don't need to wait until we breathe our last breath to experience heaven. We can have it here and now. Our lives are interlocked with heaven. We experience right now a shadow of the kingdom of heaven, which one day will be experienced in its full reality for those who are poor in spirit, which is a good reason to stay poor in spirit. Let me just close with a a question. We're all so different in our spiritual journeys. On one hand, we have the, the Pharisee. I don't know your background, but do you see yourself more like that? Look what I've done. Look at me. Look what I know. Look where I've been. I've been to church. Or do you see yourself like the tax collector? My heart needs God. We never stop needing God, which is why we're in this room. Let's pray together. God, thank you uh, for touching our lives with the gospel of Christ. I want to pray right now on behalf of those who have been Christ's followers, maybe for a week or maybe for four decades, five decades, six decades. When we, when we bent our knee before you, Lord, and say, said we, need, we, we were spiritually impoverished, we, we acknowledge our need for your forgiveness. But Lord, that need has not changed. Would you remind us of how poor in spirit we are, and every day we need You. Each one of us in this room who have been walking with You for a number of years, would You remind us of that right now? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And God, for anyone in the room who perhaps is still stiff-arming You and not sure about Jesus, God, give them the wisdom and the strength to turn in humility to You just as the tax collector did, to find forgiveness that comes alone through Christ. And in humility, you will exalt us. Give us a heart to follow you, God, to be poor in spirit. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that's what it means to be poor in spirit, the rest of the Beatitudes to come. Now, at the end of the Beatitudes... This is sort of like the, uh, uh, the, the appendix to what we just said. Um, at the end of the Beatitudes, there's a very interesting passage I want to remind you of. You probably know it's there. It says this, "...you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house." In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Friends, we are called to be lights. One of the grand narratives, not, the, not one of them, the grand narrative, ready for this? In the whole Bible. The, arcings, the grand arcing story of the Bible is that we are blessed to be a blessing. Between this day and the day that Jesus comes again, we are blessed to be a blessing, to be lights to the world. How do we do that? Very practically, how do we do that? I want to introduce you to this idea of hashtag be the light. That's for our church. It's a movement. It's a challenge to you. Be the light and to me. Um, What we'd like to do is a couple of things. One is a visible reminder to ourselves that we are called to be the light. And what we're just asking you to do, to consider doing, is is to, in a very simple way, in the front of your house, on your doorstep, in front of the bush, in a window, um, is, is just to Put a light there, something like this, whatever you want to do, to put a light there, to, to remind, to, to show your neighbors that we are to call to be the light. Somebody may ask you, why have that there? Because I'm called to be the light. I'm blessed to be a blessing. And what we'd love for you to do is to take a picture of your light and then just put it on Facebook, some social media, put hashtag be the light, and uh, that would... I mean, it'll help all of us to remember that we're called to not just be blessed, but to be a blessing. And then also, too, if you would consider this, send your picture to uh, be the light at the chapel If you want to take a picture of that, uh, that'll remind you where to send it to. And for any pictures that we receive, we're going to help somebody pay their electric bill. There's a lot of need out there. There's so much need right now, isn't there? In so many different ways, this is just one of them. But one practical way we can step up in as a church, be the light. All right? So that's the Be the Light Challenge. If you want to be a part of that, we'd love for you to. So, after each week, we're also going to give you a very, uh, a ministry challenge, and that is how to be the light in a very practical way. So, today, this is what we're asking you to do. Simply, send a compliment to somebody it is hard right now all of our we're kind of all turned inward some people are very much pressed down hurting feeling oppressed suppressed whatever you want to say and they could use a good word of encouragement a couple of weeks ago we were talking about what it means to encourage it means to inject courage Somebody might need to be injected with courage. It might be something as simple as, I love the way you do your hair. Don't send that one to me. But it could be something about how they live their life or how they, whatever it might be. Would you do that? We are blessed to be a blessing. Now, God, thank you for this time to worship you and to come together as your church. This is a crazy time. Help us to keep our eyes on you. You see what we do not. You know what we do not. Help us to trust you and move forward in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, we're going to dismiss here in just a second.